Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you today? I'm right. How are you? I'm not too bad. You just, you just had a massive book party, so... I did have a book party. It was lovely. It was my second book party. That's excellent. You should get as many book parties as you can. I should. Well, I had one in Northern Ireland, and then I've had one in England, so I feel like I should have one in Scotland and Wales now. You definitely should. Yeah, someone needs to invite me to come and have a party in those places because I just invited myself to these ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think at least several people in London would have rioted if you hadn't had a book party here. That's true. They would have. People were very sad about the fact that I had a party in Belfast, which is apparently not close enough to London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just have to find some people. If anyone wants me to come and have a book party in Scotland or Wales, then let me know. But yeah, that was good. It was good fun. Lots of people said nice things about me and gave me drinks. That is exactly what you want all of the time. It is. It's what I would like my life to be for most of the time. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because that's the point of like an artistic or literary career is just to increase the number of times in your life people give you drinks and say nice things about you. Yeah, where people are like, oh my God, you're so amazing. I love the thing you wrote. And I'm like, thanks. Would you want to follow me around all the time? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was good fun. I had a great time. Good. Uh, But... It was because of that that this podcast is a week late because I was in London and then you were not in London. Yes. (laughs) And so as a result... Also the previous weekend I was not in London. Basically, you've been doing book stuff and I've had too many commitments out of my home. And so we literally have not had a moment. But we just didn't tell anybody and no one seems to have noticed. Yeah. Or if they have, they've not mentioned it to us. I don't know whether to be relieved or offended about that. Offended, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're uh, very sorry that this episode is late, but really you're lucky to have it at all because... You are. We've both been doing a lot of things and I personally am so tired that I might fall off my chair midway through this recording. Well, it's okay, Janina, because we've got a very exciting one this week. What is the que- What question are we answering this week then? So our question, and I now know how to pronounce this person's name Woo-hoo! because they DM'd us on Twitter to tell me. Excellent. His name is Ozzy Arn, mm-hmm. and he is an Australian from Brisbane who now lives in San Francisco. Oh, nice. So I apologise for calling you Ozzy Arn for so long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yes, and very kindly, he has asked us a real good question about natural disasters. And the, the broad question is, what are some of the biggest natural disasters in history and what's their impact on the rise and fall of civilizations what could the world look like today if they had not happened so we're talking about hideous natural disasters and mass death yeah and also trying to madly speculate about what would have happened without them yeah Yeah. and mad speculation is both my favorite and least favorite thing yeah at least no one um, can tell us we're wrong no one can prove anything we say is not correct oh it's like you've never met a historian their favorite (laughs) thing is saying that the thing that you have no evidence for and they have no evidence for could not possibly be correct (laughs) based purely on speculation and their gut feeling i did want to start with a little bit of of a disclaimer as someone who has a non-zero amount of experience with natural disasters which is that it's very hard even to lock down exactly what they caused when you're in the moment of them because uh, there are lots of unexpected side effects that no one ever tells you when there's a natural disaster. Like my hometown went through a, a rash of earthquakes, which 
then you know you think an earthquake is an earthquake um but it also caused toss like toxic sludge called silt to rise up through the ground and then dry into really fine sand that blew about the place interfering with people's respiratory conditions uh Mm -hmm. also it's they're really long term yeah i've i mean i have not i've not personally gathered data on every single type of natural disaster but earthquakes at least they don't stop and i know when you study them you learn about aftershocks but what that means in practice is that you live for years with constant aftershocks never knowing whether one is going to be another truly devastating event which is what happened in christchurch we had a really massive quake and then another pretty serious one and then another massive one and so every time something happens so you live in this state of constant fear and that's what no one ever really measures is that impact of that you know just the yeah just the, the state psychological that you're, impact. you're left in um and even even one that's happened in modern times it's very hard to pin down everything that it caused like the amount of people who left Christchurch because a lot of people did and but how you can't pin down how much of that was caused by the earthquake how much of that was coincidence I left a year later a year after they started but that was yeah. coincidence I was already planning to leave but I do know other people who you know they lost their jobs because their the building wasn't there anymore and they physically lost uh yeah them they, they and could then, not work yeah so they had to go somewhere else to find work or people left because they didn't feel safe so there's they're very very complex things that are very very hard yeah. to lock down, and the effects of them are extremely long term. Yeah, like there are short term effects which we will talk about things that happen immediately as a result, but then there are like much longer term effects that take hundreds of years sometimes to pan out, or you know millions of years sometimes that you you could never predict and people will never see them during a lifetime. It's an interesting thing that, that that is only really starting to be talked about among historians, certainly among ancient historians, as to how humans are not really set up to be able to see the effects of climate and natural disasters because we live we only live a hundred years, maybe at a push, eighty-ish. Mm. And the effects of climate and the effects of like disasters or significant changes to to the globe really do not play out during a human lifetime they play out over a very very long time Mm. so when we talk about history we tend to focus in on human level events um, and not consider longer term events that are happening over hundreds or thousands of years yeah that are having an impact we don't see them because the people on the ground don't see them because they can't see them because they can only see what's happening immediately around them, basically. Yeah. You have to have a lot of distance, which conveniently brings us to one of my favourite yeah. books of the past couple of years, uh, which is called The Fate of Rome by a guy called Carl Kyle Harper, who I have a massive academic crush on. <laughs> because like every book he's written, he's one of these historians who kind of... He's written several books about kind of quite diverse areas of what we call late antiquity, so like the late Roman Empire, and all of them are the best book you've ever read, mm-hmm. Sure, which is really infuriating. So he's got a really good one about slavery in the late ancient world, which is amazing, and he's got a really good one about masculinity and sexuality during, the, during early Christianity in late antiquity, which is amazing. 
And then he wrote this one about how basically a series of natural um, events were instrumental in causing the decline and fall of the empire of Rome. And they are three massive plagues, like massive plagues, which occurred across, well, across about five centuries, but two of them occurred very close together. The first one was a smallpox plague in the second century. Then in the third century, there was an Ebola plague. And then there was one that's called the Plague of Justinian in the sixth century, which was the first outbreak of bubonic plague Mm -hmm. in kind of written human history. And that those all had a massive impact on the population. And the bubonic plague, otherwise known as the Plague of Justinian, also wiped out probably about 30% of certain parts of the empire. Yeah, that's a hefty number of people. It is a hefty number of people. And it's a really hefty number of people when that empire is also kind of fighting wars. Um, Yeah. And it's an even heftier number of people when at the exact same time there were two enormous volcanic eruptions which caused what's called the Late Antique Little Ice Age. Mm -hmm. I love all these little ice ages that there are. Yeah, there's a good couple of little ice ages, but the Late Antique Little Ice Age is a mini ice age, really. Like a mini, mini, it's not even a little ice age because at least the little ice age of the Middle Ages lasted a couple of centuries. Yeah, This one is like... 125 years-ish of cold and poor weather and fog and, you know, frozen rivers and the sun not shining properly because what happens is ash Mm -hmm. goes up and then it blocks out the sun. Quite literally blocks out the sun. And it caused what are called the extreme... I mean, this is not the catchiest of titles, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The extreme weather events of 535 to 536. (laughs) Almost as catchy. Super dramatic. No, it's almost as catchy as the late antique Little Ice Age, (laughs) (laughs) but not quite. Um, Which is basically like uh, rivers freezing, snow during the summer times, massive crop failures, Mm -hmm. people in like um, Constantinople talking about fog rolling across all the time, and that massively depressed the kind of productive abilities of the empire to be kind of basic about it. Like it caused minor famines. It prevented people from being able to travel. It prevented people from being able to grow enough crops. It just fucks you up mm-hmm. to be kind of basic, basic about it. And it fucks you up at the same time that people were dying left, right and centre from bubonic plague, which right. is... A fucking disgusting thing to die from. It is one of those things that, again, it's very difficult to know what is uh, where there's causation instead of simply correlation. Um, yeah. But no one really knows where it came from. It, the ancient sources thought that it came out of Egypt mm-hmm. um, and blamed the Egyptians. And were like, they all came out of Egypt. And then they came at us. And Yeah. But it's one of those things I think about, like, even when you have the Spanish flu co- coinciding with World War One, it's like how... Mm. How heavily did they influence each other? Was it a problem that so many medics were overseas that maybe the disease spread further than it would have if there were more people to contain it and that sort of thing? But you can't know, really. You can speculate and you can can put forward a case on either side. But 
it's very, very difficult to pin down whether it's just coincidentally there was a plague at the same time as there was a massive ash cloud everywhere or maybe <laughs> that, that literally affected people's immune systems because they weren't getting sunlight to the same yeah, extent. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's... The plague comes, like, uh, probably about 10 years, 15 years after the... So, which will feel like a long time in human years Mm -hmm. and probably nobody at the time would make these connections because especially because ancient people tend to be analysts and say things which happened and when I say analysts I don't mean like they analyze things I mean like (laughs) they wrote annals like Mm -hmm. the year began and like this happened in this year and then this happened in this year and they like were pretty focused on things which happened in years yeah Uh, and as soon as the year had passed they tend to be like well that happened last year it can't possibly have an effect on this year (laughs) um so they um, were not hugely into long-term thinking, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. But in, when you look at it from a big perspective, uh, where it takes, where a volcano erupts and that takes however long it takes to erupt, and then it takes 125 years for that to sort itself out in terms of climate. Yeah, like 15 years is nothing. Yeah, it's absolutely. And we like just a blink. we have no idea how that could have impacted the everyday health of the people in the regions that were affected by that. There's no way to know if there were any long-term health conditions that were caused or exacerbated by it, but there might have been. I mean, there definitely were. If you're an asthmatic and uh, hanging around in Byzantium, then you probably were massively happy. Yeah. But even though just meaning, like, were you more, were they more susceptible to illness? Or, yeah. you know, were they, you know, less able to cope with the cold and they therefore just got sick more because... It was cold, you know? True. It's difficult. Although I haven't said that, the bubonic plague was, like, hard to fight. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's pretty nasty. Yeah, every- Did you know that there have been three pandemics of the um, bubonic plague and the last one didn't end until technically 1920? Oof, that's a lot more modern than you think it's going to be. It is. I've been reading loads about the plague and I'm now more scared of the bubonic plague than I previously was. Yeah, because it's one of those ones that we don't fear not because we have developed a cure or a treatment, but because it's it's it, we kind not of, anywhere yeah. that we can catch it from. Yeah, exactly. I think and... that was an episode of CSI once. <laughs> <laughs> Someone found a bubonic plague-infested blanket and all of a sudden was dying of the plague. That was it, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's really nasty. Um, and, like, there are vaccines and stuff and you can like treat it with various antibiotics but like the last big outbreak was at the end of the 19th century and started in china and then spread like throughout asia super fast Mm -hmm. and like ran rampant through british india and was in part was part of what eventually kind of pushed people towards um along with another thing that we'll talk about in a minute which is colonially caused famines that kind of drove Indian or drove nationalist and anti-British sentiment in India because they one of their responses to the plague was to um, cause isolation camps and to ban traditional medical practices Mm-hmm. which obviously was enormously upsetting to people. They found them very intrusive and repressive, mm-hmm. that they were like quite strong cultural measures against Indian tradition, Yeah, as if that was causing the plague somehow, <laughs> when it's the fucking bubonic plague. Yeah. 
yeah, so that ended in about technically 1920. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that raged for nearly a century throughout Asia um, and killed many millions of people. Yeah, there's no fun. Although I've also found out that like below pandemic levels is when it stops killing 10,000 people a year or something. Oh, right. So that still seems quite high. Either side of that, it could still be killing a lot of people. I mean, technically, according to the World Health Organization, like the official, official, official end of the third pandemic was 1960 because fewer than 200 people a year were dying from it. And again, 200 people a year dying from bubonic plague in my parents' lifetime seems very high. It really does. Yeah, so that was an interesting thing. And now, and then I read like this whole science paper about it that was basically like, people aren't really scared of the plague anymore, but they probably should be. (laughs) (laughs) Because once it gets going, it really, really gets going. (laughs) And it's not apparently that hard for it to get going. That's good, isn't it? I just think... Right now, we need to prioritise our existential fear. (laughs) And there are a lot of things to be afraid of right now. I like to add them on so that I've got as many things to be afraid of as possible. (laughs) Uh So that I have no way of prioritising my existential fears. Mm -hmm. Because I could be sitting here being afraid of, I don't know, the inevitable water wars Mm -hmm. that will result from global warming, which will raise salt water and reduce uh, um, fresh water mm-hmm. i could also worry about getting the bubonic plague yeah or i could worry about brexit induced food shortages mm-hmm. or i could worry about another massive volcano which we have learned from this research of apparently responsible for every bad thing that ever happened in the world and potentially ever good thing that ever happened yeah. in the world it looks like all, um, all social change event caused by volcanoes turns out turns out volcanoes i did not know that volcanoes were like like i think the only time apart from thinking about vesuvius mm-hmm. and pompeii which had no cultural effects particularly mm-hmm. although i found oh my god Ginny and i found such a terrible book <laughs> I'm not going to name it because that would be mean because it's out now, but it's written by a geologist, basically, or a seismologist. She's a scientist. Mm -hmm. She studies predominantly earthquakes and, like, geological ages. Mm -hmm. And so, but she's written a book which is about natural disasters and then she tries to tie them to history. Uh Uh-huh. But very, very badly. (laughs) (laughs) Like... So she's got a chapter on Pompeii in there. Mm -hmm. And I think the point she's trying to make without being brave enough to say it because it's stupid Mm -hmm. is that the eruption of of Vesuvius and the destruction of Pompeii helped drive people towards Christianity because Christianity offered a reason for why that volcano had exploded. Did it though? No, obviously not. (laughs) She, what she's done is take a load of stuff going from Augustine in the 4th century, 5th century, to Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. quite a lot later, and then kind of taking just a bunch of disconnected quotes about why God allows bad things to happen. Uh-huh. Linking that to the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah and Sodom being destroyed by, like, fire raining onto it. Mm-hmm. And then said, Pompeii. Sure. Great. And the implication, the slight implication, because, again, not brave enough to say it because it's stupid, is that basically Roman religion doesn't offer a reason for that kind of thing to happen. It does. The reason is 
the just gods the, wanted it to yeah. happen. And the gods don't give a shit about people. I would I would say that ancient Roman religion often way more of a reason than Christianity ever did. You've got to reach hard to find Bible verses to back that shit up. <laughs> well, I mean, the reason for why God, bad, bad things happen is like broadly, at least in early Christianity, because you did bad things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's, you know, you did a bad thing, so God is punishing you. Which is just like, like even then, like you've got to, the two, you have two concrete examples of that in the Bible, obviously, Sodom and and Gomorrah and that is like those are meant to be extreme right a place a <laughs> city was destroyed because they were so horrific that they yeah. had to be and all of this stuff had to happen and God had to negotiate with people and all of this crap so it is definitely not the thing that happens on a whim and I feel like you'd have to prove Pompeii as being a seriously dissolute sort of place <laughs> to get away with with throwing that one off on that whereas Roman gods just fucked it up for fun, and they always have, you know? <laughs> yeah, basically, like, oh, the gods did it, like, the end. Yeah. And shit happened a lot in the Roman Empire. Like, when you read... Quite a fun thing about reading analysts is um, that they will record, like, every disaster that happened, but they record it in the same kind of tone that they might record a minor scandal amongst the Roman aristocracy. (laughs) Or in fact, with less seriousness than they would. So they were like, there's a a minor scandal among the Roman aristocracy. And then literally the next paragraph will be like, uh, and then like this massive cave caved in on a load of people and like 40,000 people died. Mm -hmm. And then after that, Tiberius... (laughs) <laughs> was really horrible to a guard and then after that and you're just like what what go back <laughs> and they yeah so they do like they were quite used to enormous amounts of people dying in terrible circumstances to be honest like this was yeah. pretty bad even for them but they were i'm pretty sure that no one or like not in any kind of great cultural movement moved to to christianity because of pompeii yeah and at that point i put the book down that seems that's not true i did skim like two other things and she also seemed to suggest that a massive earthquake in portugal was responsible in some way for the spanish inquisition uh, which happened beforehand Mm -hmm. i can't remember what the other one was i read because it was rubbish also so uh there are some interesting cases of natural disasters um, impacting on ideologies and even political stances a little bit like the tangshan earthquake in 1976 uh, which yes. was devastating um, and went some way into undermining the government at the time because it was the stance of the of the communist government in China that they could predict earthquakes accurately. Yeah. What is it with weird dictators and their, like, yeah. like oh, we can predict the weather with this stick we've got. Yeah. So claiming that they couldn't predict earthquakes was a counter-revolutionary thought and therefore <laughs> yeah. was dangerously a dangerous political deviation that you weren't allowed to have and then this devastating earthquake hit in 1976 which completely went against everything that they had said but they managed to pull themselves out of it because there had been so much education about earthquakes that um people were more prepared to deal with it and they responded really well and pulled shit together afterwards so efficiently compared to previous regimes that it kind of did not have the impact it could have had uh, if if 
people had just stuck to their initial, hey, you didn't tell us about this one. <laughs> well, didn't you know? You didn't mention this. Yeah. Can't believe you wouldn't have mentioned this to us. <laughs> I'd say China is a place that comes up a lot in lists of really terrible, terrible events. Mm-hmm. Like, like the worst, a lot of like the worst natural disasters that ever happened, happened in China. And it's partly because it's so enormous. Yeah. There's a lot of room partly, for earthquakes. There's a lot of room for bad stuff to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And also because it is on, like, they kind of get a bit of everything. Like, yeah. they get earthquakes and they get floods and they get... But also China has had a recorded history for a really long time. It does, like which a, is nice. A lot of cultures yeah. that are that old were, are, have oral traditions. So yeah, we just don't actually um, have the information. We don't have as much access. Yeah, because one thing, because I was trying really, really hard to find ancient African stuff, Mm. because obviously, because there's like old African history, like prior to all, and then why people came and ruined it is a, a big gap in my knowledge that I know of. Like, and obviously it's a whole continent, so knowing about it is difficult, but just is a whole continent that I know little about. So I was doing my best to try and find some stuff, but they're just like, everything was kind of 20th or 21st century yeah because there is either there is not that written culture or that written culture is just not available to me yeah and Um, the strength of of oral cultures has been damaged by colonial interference yeah um whether that is by uh the 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 wonderful thing that happens everywhere that white people go and force their way into which is that people get punished for maintaining their own culture and their own language so Mm -hmm. things can get lost also, a lot in a lot of the time, white colonizers just ignore everything that the indigenous culture <laughs> yeah. says, um, and not written down. Yeah, and don't bother to write it down. They they consign everything to myth, myth and legend. Some of which is now getting uh, ex- re-examined and proved to be like a historical account rather than a mythological one. But it's there's a vast amount of stuff that we just don't know from all of the cultures that we trampled on, uh, because we're yeah. assholes, basically. I know it's terrible. It is. I know this is. I know this is something that we talk about a lot. But the British Empire really was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> really, really was. Like one thing that Oliver noted on the list was like the impact of diseases introduced to North and South America as a result of colonizers appearing, partly mis- like just by accident mm-hmm. by bringing those things with them that people in north and south america didn't have any immunity to that just led them to be destroyed like smallpox and partly on purpose by giving them smallpox infected blankets Mm -hmm. because they worked out that they could do that just how incredibly destructive that was to civilization in north and south america yeah and in the pacific and in and yeah and yeah india as well which is part of jared diamond's thing isn't it like guns germs and steel that terrible book yeah we basically stole all the land and gave people disease alcoholism and guns um yeah in return smallpox tuberculosis influenza measles whooping cough and the cold wow which did not exist outside really of like Europe and Eurasia and Asia had all been sharing those things for a long time and then we took them over to places that had been isolated from us and went, hey, do you want some jams? <laughs> they will never leave you alone. No matter how many colds you get, you can always get more. <laughs> it turns out they strains of this disease we've got. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to be 
horribly disgusting forever. <laughs> yeah, like and smallpox in particular, like <sighs> beyond yeah. like decimated isn't the right word because that's one in ten. Like you know, twenty five, fifty percent of populations were wiped out by yeah. by smallpox alone without the exacerbating consequences of white people shooting them. Yeah. They, yeah, it's just uh it's an extraordinary thing. And when you think of the we did this like talked about this a bit on our short questions episode the other week, um, when we were talking about incidents that had changed the course of history in some way, like like what had changed history the worst. Mm. And like why people turning up just like lost so much from communities in the pacific and in north and south america that just was like just entire civilizations just destroyed yeah and i think like i think the loss of history in historical knowledge um from cultures that continue to exist is one of those tragedies that you don't think about a lot but Mm. it is there are there are huge amounts of people in this world who don't actually know anything about their heritage because we punished them for continuing to record it and to pass it on and like it's yeah it's i think it's a miracle that more cultures survived that like the amount of cultures that survived that that did but yeah not, I mean, not all of yeah. them did you know some history yeah, is just I mean, lost when you think like part of this question is the speculation of you know what does the world look like without those civilizations being destroyed and it is it's literally, I think, impossible to imagine what a world looks like that that ha- because we destroyed so much of it, we barely know what it looks like. Mm. To you know, what does an Australia look like that is still that is not white Australia, basically yeah. that is not a Europeanized Australia that is a, a an Australian Australia, yeah. you know, that is an Aboriginal Australia. What does a Native American america look like what does a first people's canada look like yeah what does a you know a mayan south central america look like Mm -hmm. but we squished it so hard yeah that it is is very challenging to imagine like how that like how those civilizations work in a modern world you know and it's one of those things as well that uh i think white people like to look at older not necessarily ancient but sometimes ancient sometimes just older civilizations and still play the savages card you know that yeah that but the problem with that apart from the fact that it's incredibly reductive is that it denies those cultures and we have denied those cultures the chance to explore who they would be in a modern world because yeah. our culture is savage and is historically incredibly savage and yet we get away with playing ourselves off as the civilized ones just because we have dominated the world and continue to grow and develop and change after we cut off other cultures from having that same period of development yeah and we get to be the ones that write down history yeah and you know much like it's kind of a truism and i'm dragging it back to romans again but like um, when you look at things that romans did it is challenging to look at them and say oh you were the civilization yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they were the barbarians and why were they the barbarians again oh yeah trousers okay good yeah 
your trousers are not writing down law codes. Oh, but you're the ones who literally murdered people for sport. Yeah. And that was your most popular sport. <laughs> Second most popular sport was literal people being forced to kill other people in the arena. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. well done, well done, Rome. Great. You had 25% of the population of the empire as slaves. <laughs> like, that you literally didn't recognise as people. Yeah. But the other guys, they're the barbarians. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Cool, yep, cool, yep. cool. Because they got to write down history. Yeah. And then we, you, you know, Western Europe decided that Rome was the pinnacle of culture. And so weirdly decided to base their entire system of aesthetics and, you know, government on them. Yeah. Which is weird. It really is buck wild. It is super weird. The more you think about the Romans, and I spent a lot of time thinking about the Romans, <laughs> and we're like, really? These guys? Um, this is what you looked at and thought, this looks cool. I want to base my entire American government on these dudes. All right. The ones that... Okay, fine, fine, <laughs> if that's your thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Anyway. Because the other thing that is... That are kind of natural and then exacerbated by people, so Anthropocene, is famines. Mm-hmm which are bad in general and then get made much, much worse in imperial contexts. Mm-hmm. And like the two really, the two really big ones, but the two really big ones are the Great Irish Famine of the 19th century, mid 19th century, mm-hmm. and the Bengal Famine of the uh, mid 20th century, both of which were caused by kind of natural shortages mm-hmm. caused by, well, the Great Irish Famine was caused by potato, potato blight. Potato diseases. Yes, which is why it gets called the potato famine by people who are not Irish. Mm-hmm. Because, which I, the more I live in Northern, the more belittling I find it. Yeah. Because it does lead to like Alan Partridge jokes like, if you can afford to emigrate, you can afford to eat in a decent restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. Which is a funny joke, but still. It, it would be um, a funny joke if I didn't feel like a lot of people think it. Yeah, or the. The other line from that episode of Alan Partridge is, um, well, you will pay the price if you're going to be a picky eater. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, which, again, is a bit funny. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it is quite a belittling name for a thing that killed a million and a half people. Yes. And when it's so many people's go-to Irish joke is potato famine. Yeah. And it was, basically, there was a potato blight, which was massively problematic, uh, but it was more problematic because effectively a a large proportion of the of the Irish population who identified as Irish and as Catholic were excluded from basically anything that wasn't being a peasant Mm -hmm. because there were massive restrictions on land ownership there were restrictions on jobs they could do there were restrictions on virtually everything that an Irish Catholic could do in the British Empire and a huge amount of them were paid with potatoes. Um, like, they were not given currency, they were given potatoes. And that was their staple food stuff because it was the only thing that they had access to and everything else was exported by the British. And that continued to happen. And then it was exacerbated into a, a disastrous famine by British responses, basically, yeah. which is to continue to export food and to introduce workhouses, yeah, which didn't go down very well. And to um, uh, 
I might I might have picked this up wrongly. Also, the refusal to introduce varieties of potato that were not affected by the blight. Yes, they were. They just didn't really care that much. Yeah, I mean, some people there are um, extreme views at the other end, which will say that it was a deliberate genocide. Yeah, and there were some certainly very extreme views at the time. Like one of the governors of Ireland said that, "Well, this is God punishing the Irish for being Irish," mm-hmm. and which didn't help. And there were a lot of complete dickheads around who didn't help. And the response was basically the traditional British response to all things, which is to say, well, they should work harder. And so they basically made men like just do, like basically chain gang it um, in exchange for like rations, tiny rations, which obviously didn't help because if you make a starving person work and then give them over a small amount of food, it doesn't really yeah. solve the problem. No. Yeah, so that became kind of disastrous. And the obviously about a million and a half dead and then another million left the country, which the Irish population has still not recovered from. Yeah. And also nearly eradicated the Irish language because so many of the people who couldn't afford to leave were the people who were maintaining the language and then people who spoke it and left stopped speaking it. And which the British delighted in because they worked very hard to eradicate that language. Yeah, I mean, we could go on, if we got get into a, a tangent on the British Empire destroying language, um, <laughs> I will never stop We're talking. We're here for a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's let's not. I do recommend, though, there's a, a recent episode of The Illusionist, uh, which is a great po- podcast, deals that with podcast. the fight to revive the Scots language, which okay. was uh, is still hugely stigmatised in Scotland um, yeah. because of the British, obviously. Of course, of course. Yeah, and relatedly, the, there were a large number of famines in British-ruled India which were caused by local shortages as a result of things like blights and bad crops mm-hmm. and bad harvests and things, but which were massively exacerbated by the fact that the British Empire just failed to distribute food properly. Yeah. Uh, like it just didn't distribute food to areas that needed it essentially Mm -hmm. Uh, like it would cut places off and the the government's kind of brought in various measures to try to combat stuff but really like it was the issues were significantly exacerbated Mm. by things like the railways as it happens yeah well who knew good work good i know (laughs) introducing a railway and then not using it efficiently to deliver things Um, but the thing is about plagues and crop things is that they can come out of, they can just happen. They can be just a blight that appears and attacks yep. your potatoes. Or they can also be caused by other disasters, which is where we get to uh, volcanoes are responsible for everything that's ever happened in the world, I think. They are responsible for everything that ever happened in the world. We've got a string of volcanoes. <laughs> yeah, I think volcanoes maybe rule the world and we just like hoke about in the dirt and hope they don't kill us at any moment yeah. maybe volcanoes are our gods um and like i remember a few years ago shortly after our earthquakes actually there was a chilean volcano that erupted and the ash cloud did continue to affect various parts of the world for several months afterwards i know i had to, i had some flights cancelled uh, because yeah. the ash cloud got in the way um because it just the volcano spews up a cloud and then the wind just keeps blowing it about and about until it dissipates which takes a weirdly long time and that was a relatively small one when you look at some of these bad boys from the past yeah and like um 
my partner was hit by that um, unpronounceable Icelandic one in 2010 mm-hmm. that I'm not even going to try. So <laughs> don't even try and gave me into it. Um, which like knocked out travel for, well, it was for six days that it erupted, wasn't it? And then however long yeah. it was that nobody could travel and he got trapped in Italy and had to just like f- find his way back. Yeah. Which was... I don't know, probably a real shit adventure, I would imagine, because it's like what would be a three hour flight or whatever. It's ended yeah. up being about five days of travel. But, and that was again a quite a small one. It was only six days, but it still was a real issue. Yeah. And, you know, it caused some, caused some significant problems. And then that was a short one. There were bigger ones, like the Lackey, which is another. Icelandic one, which erupted for eight months mm-hmm. in 1783. Just pretty much the entire year was just spewing shit into the air. And the thing is about that is, I mean, as it did with Iceland and Chile, it doesn't, it's not localised. No, volcano, it's not. It just blows everywhere. It blows everywhere. So it's not just, and again, I think the most famous volcano is is Pompeii. And when you think of Pompeii, it's this one city, but that the ash cloud is not discerning. It goes everywhere. So the Lackey eruption caused crop failures across the world because, again, there's an ash cloud in the way in between you and the sun. Your crops can't grow. And there are claims... This is my... This is See, this is just delightful. I think you like this claim I do like this claim very much. It's probably unprovable, and I'm sure much debated, but there are claims that because there were such catastrophic crop failures on such a widespread area food prices went up astronomically mm-hmm. um because there were shortages uh which led to riots in france mm-hmm. for example which led to marie antoinette's famous quip about cake um and arguably contributed to the onset of the french revolution which then <laughs> itself spurred off a whole bunch of like just revolutionary thought and the idea that you could challenge the monarchy and the idea that you could fight against the feudal system, which then was the birth of a whole lot of modern political ideologies. So basically, I mean, Oliver has written an Icelandic volcano maybe was cause of liberal republicanism. Yeah. <laughs> which, as a as a historian, I'm wary of saying that it was a volcano's fault. Yeah. Well, there were, I've also but, read uh, uh, when I was reading about this particular eruption claims that it's responsible for the birth of secularism and feminism. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, all of those things are related to liberalism in a way, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's but, just that thing of like, thing, shit got so real that she got real. people started there to fight bit, back a in a way of, that it had never occurred to them they could before because they'd never been pushed that far. It's true. There is a, a thing from Benjamin Franklin talking about the effects of that and being like it snowed in the summer like here yeah and everything was and the sun just didn't seem to shine and everything was foggy and cold yeah, yeah. Uh, i also so, um, read a claim that it led to the delay of to the end of the american revolutionary war because it caused such a harsh winter that congressmen couldn't travel so they couldn't get oh. to where they needed to be to vote on the treaty well there you go yeah. see volcanoes man volcanoes who would have thought i think volcanoes are might be our gods and we just hoke about and then every so often they destroy everything yeah. for us there's also um the minoan eruption in around 1500 bc which is obviously yes. a lot 
that you know a lot harder to pin down because it was so long ago but it just it wiped out communities all around in in cyprus in canaan in greece in egypt um all around the aegean sea and there are claims and again not provable that this is what allowed the mycenaean cultures to take over from the minoan empire leading to the original advanced civilization of greece uh, yes. Also, that it led to the collapse of the Chia dynasty in China and allowing for the rise of the Shang dynasty. Again, because it has volcanoes just fuck shit up everywhere so severely. <laughs> they do just fuck shit up. They are problematic. Like, they do just come and then every so often, like, fling stuff down. I don't think, personally, that the, the Minoans were destroyed by, by a volcano no it was yeah. probably military strength <laughs> that yeah. led to that particular takeover but you know who knows but then but you know because also if i remember correctly like scraping my memory back to literally my undergraduate degree <laughs> like they much like the easter island um jared diamond's easter island theory mm-hmm. which is that that they spent so much time cutting down trees so they could move big rocks that they basically destroyed their own island and therefore it became uninhabitable to massively simplify his theory Mm -hmm. which is dubious Um, there is also a theory that basically the Minoans like deforested their area and um, exceeded their capacity to carry a civilization in the area that they had Mm -hmm. basically people will fling any old shit up yeah well, um, at the past, it's, um, it's easy, but, you know, with an ancient culture because it is quite knows? easy with an ancient culture because you can basically say almost anything, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and people will go, "Yeah, all right," you know, "Oh yeah, sure," it just sank into the sea. Yeah, uh, it was Atlantis. Yeah, that's how. That's um, how you get. That's how you get it. Yeah. The Mycenaeans, of course, this is mildly unrelated, but it's one of my favourite things in the entire world, were eventually allegedly destroyed by the Sea Peoples, a completely unknown people yeah. who just just fucked shit up <laughs> From uh, the around the Aegean and all around Egypt and Sumeria and all kind of places for centuries, and no one knows who or what they were. That is great. But they're referenced as just coming, the sea peoples came and destroyed everything. And in my imagination, forever and ever and ever, I've always imagined them as tiny little, <laughs> like, sea pixies. So like the coconuts in Moana. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, billions of them just coming out of the sea and, like, overwhelming the, like, Mycenae mm-hmm. and then running back into the sea. But I have a friend who imagines them as big, giant sea monsters coming out of the sea. That is also good. <laughs> yeah, it is also good. It's much better than any of the realistic ones, which are like, we don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe pirates, I guess. Don't know. But yeah, I'm a big fan of the sea peoples. That's fair. They're very good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of anything that sounds mysterious and like it might be, like it might be mythical in some way. Yeah. It's good. Um, Another... Another thing that I and again I don't I don't think this is provable, but another eruption that apparently changed the world on which we walk was the Kauai eruption. Yeah, uh, from fourteen fifty two to fourteen fifty three, it was an undersea volcano in the caldera 
uh, in Vanuatu, and it destroyed the island of Kauai, and it caused climate cooling around the world again, as the pre- as the other uh, volcanic eruptions have done, led to thousands of deaths in China due to snow. And there are also claims that it caused such dramatic crop failures in Constantinople uh, that it prevented the Byzantine Empire from holding out against an Ottoman siege, and effectively ending the Byzantine Empire because they didn't have enough food. Which then the the source that I read claimed that that also meant that the migration of citizens into Europe then basically influenced all of European culture and schooling and intellectual debate everywhere because of that. So basically what we're saying is that volcanoes destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. They were responsible for the end of the Minoans. Mm -hmm. They were responsible for the French Revolution. Uh They kept the, was it the American Civil War? going the uh the revolutionary war the revolutionary war going sorry mm-hmm. and was also responsible for the end of the byzantine empire yeah also for the invention that, of that, mineral fertilizers and uh, for the invention of in mineral, 19th century after the eruption of mount tambora apparently as what i'm hearing is that volcanoes are responsible for virtually everything yep in fact when you go way 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 back i mean i'm really talking way back like during the last ice age mm-hmm. There was the Toba catastrophe, mm-hmm. which... The supervolcanic eruption? Yeah. Mm. Which allegedly, potentially, although once you get back that far, you're basically working on like two skeletons and some geology <laughs> and hope, basically, um, that that reduced basically the number of, of Homo sapiens that existed to about 3,000. Mm-hmm. So we have an um, intense DNA bottleneck. Yeah, and then every... Because humans are about, what, 200,000 years, Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, during the Ice Age, a super volcanic event which took us down to just a tiny number of people, which then is why we all have the same, like, mitochondrial DNA. Yeah. And then, yeah. There are also claims that it led to the first uh, human migration out of Africa. Yeah. Uh, because volcanoes are responsible for everything we should worship volcanoes way more than we do yeah i feel like we've forgotten we've forgotten the power we've of really the volcano. neglected them yeah yeah it's a real real shame i feel bad now <laughs> like maybe this is why all those imaginary people in like bad films are always throwing virgins into volcanoes yeah because volcanoes will change the whole world yeah they just when you're not paying attention yeah. they will all of a sudden just pump out some crap and ruin everything yeah um all although you know also cause movement of culture across borders and expand the sum I mean, total sure, of human sure. knowledge by bringing cultures together i mean as a general rule like things ending is bad yeah but out of bad things good things come yeah like i'm sure that living through the french revolution felt pretty terrible yeah, but we did get... But we got liberal... Democracy. Well, liberalism out of it, really. Yeah. And we got the end of, eventually, European monarchies. Yep. And we, you know, one man, one vote, eventually, finally, many hundred years <laughs> later. <laughs> and then eventually, also for women, thank you. Yeah. You know, it took a while. It did take a while. Say. Potentially but longer than it, it should have taken, really. In volcano terms, it barely took any time at all. Yeah, that's true. In vol- like from the perspective of your nearest volcano, what's that? Eighteenth century, three hundred years, not bad. 
Yeah, that's around about the time it takes to have a snooze and then start pumping (laughs) nightmares out again. I mean, the issue is that, like, there's a lot, a lot of natural disasters and they happen constantly all over the world. And they all have really wide-ranging effects. Yeah. And when they are combined with other things, they can cause, like, massive massive social and historical changes to human civilization so like the french revolution basically like yeah the price of bread goes up or whatever and everything sucks but the price of bread alone going up doesn't make people overthrow government and revolt it has to be yeah, no, in it's, the context of other stuff that was going on catalyst like, to a whole lot of other things in the same way i guess that exactly um, f- fear about migration is not what caused Brexit that came after decades of people not doing too well after the recession and fear of terrorism after 9-11 and then was captured all together by, you know, a couple of middle-aged racist men. Yeah, which is also connected to, you know, the Arab Spring and the wars in the Middle East, which will go back (laughs) right the way back to, like, World War too and again british colonialism and like it all links into much much yeah. bigger broader which issues both humanly we've talked about before i think the problem with history being that it's also interconnected and and all dependent on each other but we've actually never really talked about how severely that can be impacted by things that are outside human control before and it yeah. turns out yeah that this has is an the reason why this is the reason why i like that carl harper book so much because like the he does a very, very good job of saying this is, you know, this is something that we've not looked at, that yeah. that there were big global climate issues, like long-term things happening, and they connected to the human-level events yeah. like this, like that they caused people to react in a certain way, they prevented people from being able to react in a certain way, they prevented people from doing stuff, they forced people to do stuff, like they... Mm. It is, it's, you know, in the end, history is a human thing. It is, the thing that I like about history is that it's what people do, basically. Yeah. And the stories I like best about history are the stories about little groups of people doing weird shit. (laughs) And, you know, it is, Christ, just whacking my microphone really hard. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, It is always, you know, it's an, I like looking at things from this this perspective like this really far back perspective mm-hmm. of like the in the end we're all just tiny little dots on a globe that is made up of plates that are moving and grinding against each other yeah and occasionally banging into each other so hard that they spew molten rock out the top mm-hmm. which is ridiculous it is like it doesn't feel like we live on a world that does that but yeah we do and yet we do and so, like, that's such a, a big, big level perspective that it almost makes little human things look silly. Mm. But in the end, those big giant things are what makes humans do what they do, really. Yeah. Like, it drives people to move from one place to another, or it drives people to say, hang on a minute, I hate my government. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not putting up with this anymore yeah or it keeps your perspective bigger than than just your own little environment because yeah or it changes your perspective in your own little environment mm. like you know you i've not lived through a natural disaster but it makes 
you know, the place where you grew up look unsafe. Yeah. The place that you have always thought was the earth that doesn't move suddenly moves underneath you and you don't want to be there anymore and it drives you to move away and then that has an impact on the city that, you know, shifted. Or it drives, you know, it makes it an uninhabitable place so you're forced to move Mm -hmm. or so millions of people are forced to move which then you know but each one of those was a single person's decision to say i have to leave yeah or, or i have to stay and it is one of those things that when you think about how widespread it is and how um i think we were talking about this in our chat when we were playing this episode when i was planning to, to move here it was the earthquakes in christchurch that made my mum feel better about it because new zealand is not a place that's had risk from terrorist attacks because it is completely insignificant in almost every way but I was planning to move to London, which had been the victim of a few. Uh, so, yeah. And my mum didn't want me to come because of that danger. Then we were hit by all of these earthquakes and her philosophy just changed on a dime because she was like, it doesn't, things like this can happen anywhere and you can't predict them and you can't um, plan for them. I mean, you can plan for them a bit, but you can't plan for all of them and you can't know what's going to come. So therefore, there's no point in being scared of any of it because that's not going to help you in the event that it happens, it's just borrowing trouble. Like That's quite a nice way to look at it. Like, the stuff, the world we live on is not stable. And so yeah. all we can do is continue to live on it. Yeah, basically. Mm. Um, and you just, you know, I don't know, keep on keeping on. And hope that if you have to go through something traumatic like a, a volcano eruption, it leads to a great advancement in human thought. <laughs> yeah. That eventually, after the terrible deaths and bloodshed and fighting mm-hmm. there is an advancement in human thought yeah and it's th- nice to think of things in the long term because when you think of things in the long term then oh horrible death um <laughs> you're like oh yeah and then like twenty thousand people died and then the next day you can kind of take a nice roman perspective yeah. <laughs> and you can you know you know don't don't think too hard about the horrible bit think about the good consequences yeah yeah I do have, I've talked to you many times about this, that my theory that something appalling, like genuinely appalling and unbearable needs to happen for any genuine progress, like for things to be better yeah. for more people. I think this but is one of the things... you need to suffer hideousness first. Yeah. It's one of those things I think that helps me get out of bed in the morning is just the idea that, that things can work out for good, even if it's not now. Like... They may not always, but if you know that sometimes they do, then that can, yeah. that can help deal with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One day it'll all be better. Um, also, we didn't really talk about it. Probably we didn't. I don't have any specific examples, but the more pedestrian, practical thing is that, like in the same way that war causes medical development, natural disasters cause development too. You know, we've made advances, yeah. like huge advancements in engineering uh, through our attempts to survive earthquakes and that sort of thing yeah and and that's pretty cool too that is pretty cool too yeah go humans humans <laughs> are quite good really like as a yeah sometimes we as do a, big a good thing we survive we're very su- good at surviving yeah because you know when i half read the question and hadn't read it properly like my first thought was well obviously the worst natural disaster that changed history was the big asteroid that hit and then destroyed all of the massive dinosaurs <laughs> and let tiny fuzzy furballs take over the world mm-hmm. like literally take over the whole world yeah without with all of their softness and, and inability yeah. and like an ability to like burrow into the ground yeah. and then 
when the little fuzzy soft things became massive and we got super fauna and like those giant sloth things mm-hmm. which are huge and have you ever seen the skeleton of uh, an irish elk no they are terrifyingly massive like, We're, like how many as, how many mooses are they like two mooses Ooh. they're really big that is massive and like mammoths, which are huge, and saber-toothed tigers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then an ice age came and killed all of them. So only basically the medium-sized mammals, furry mammals like us, survived. Yeah. So as we go, we survived, I mean, obviously, as like little fluff balls, <laughs> survived the big asteroid, survived an ice age, evolved into Homo sapiens during an ice age. Mm-hmm. We're banging along now in what is technically still not the end of an ice age. Because there are periods in, like, the six billion years of global history in which there's been no ice. Mm -hmm. We haven't had, like, big ice things. So we're doing all right. Yeah. Not bad. Had a good run. I mean, yeah, good us. We survived when there are only 3,000 of us left. And look how many of us there are now. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. It is quite impressive, actually. I'm quite impressed by us now. I've got a new admiration for generally humans, (laughs) which I don't have often because I work in retail. (laughs) And volcanoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fear. Volcanoes change the world. Humans survive it and go and with us. Basically, the gl- history of the world is volcanoes keep erupting and humans won't die. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> what are we um, talking about next time? <laughs> next time, we're moving into a uh, halloweeny period so we swapped mm. the questions so that we could do this which is from john freeman and the question is what are the best ghost stories from history it's such a good question i know and it just well, was supposed to be this week but i swapped it so it could be next week yeah that's, that's, that's i mean why would we do ghost stories just before halloween instead of exactly be ludicrous. Yeah. so we're going to talk about ghost stories which is less talking about volcanoes yeah um, unless you can find any ghost stories about volcanoes, in which case feel free. I'm going to do my best. Yeah. I hope that we answered the question. <laughs> we definitely talked about it. We talked ra- about the question and, um, yeah, that's close enough, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it. Natural disasters everywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, if you have a question for us, then you should tell us. You can do that yeah. on Twitter. We are at Sexy History Pod. And uh, you can email us. We are sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Um, or you can Facebook us at Suxy without the E, History Pod. Mm-hmm. That's all the ways to get in touch with us. Or you can talk to me at, at Nuclear Teeth. Or me at J9 and If. Or Silent Partner and Excellent Producer Oliver at, at Kiwa. And you can find us on the iTunes and on all of the places where you get the podcasts. Yeah. And you can leave us reviews in all the places where you think people might like to see us. Mm-hmm. You can tell your friends. Uh, just just go up to your friends and tell them yeah. about us and say, have you heard this? Do you know this thing about volcanoes? <laughs> and how they change the world. Yeah. Would you like to listen to this podcast about it? Don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. That is about it. Yeah. Bye. Bye.